0: Hello and welcome to The Coaching Podcast, coaching for success in sport and business. Your host is Emma Doyle, the energy and high performance under pressure coach who is a world leader in unleashing human potential. Buckle up for this high octane session. Let them have it, coach.
1: G'day everybody and welcome to The Coaching Podcast. My name is Emma Doyle and I'm here with Aish Ravi. I have already interviewed her once before. I will be honest about that. Uh, But I forgot to click record. So we are take two, Aish. How are you? I'm great, Emma. And it's so great to be on here again. So thank you. (laughs) (laughs) Take two. Aish is a business and economics teacher and football coach who's currently in her final year of completing a PhD at Monash University. Uh, she's the founder of the Women's Coaching Association that I've done some work for before. Um, and I love everything that she's about, especially really making a change in football Australia. She's on the Women's Council, um, different committees, all sorts of things. And I'm excited to talk about women in coaching, your role, and coaching in general. So let's get into it. All right. The first question is pineapple on a pizza, Aish. what What's your take on pineapple? Oh, I love pineapple on a pizza. So, Love it. Yeah, Love it. <laughs> All right. Well, because you answered that way, could you share with us a coaching moment that went really well and what might be a lesson or two?
0: Yeah. So a coaching moment for me was my first time coaching senior women um, in football. Um, again, I previously coached a lot of juniors and coming from a teaching background, sure. hadn't really uh, worked with senior women uh, before. Uh but one thing that really worked well is that relationship building. So, one of the first principles in teaching is getting to know your students. So I really made an effort to get to know my players and spent a fair bit of time uh, with that team, getting to know them, uh, doing some team bonding and social events. And that really worked well um, and put us in good stead for the rest of the season as we had built that relationship. So that really uh, was something that worked really well. Was there one or two things that just like what was the
1: secret sauce in how you did that?
0: So making time. So first we did some team things. Um, So like, you know, we went out for like, say, pizza. We did some bowling. So did some team bonding activities. But then I also made the time to have an opportunity to catch up with the players one-on-one. And this gave me a really good opportunity to get to know them and share uh, with me like what their goals, motivations, um, and even challenges were. And um, they got to know me a little bit better too. And so we got to develop that relationship going into the season. And that was the season we actually won the the premiership So um, and we were undefeated. So that really, I feel like that's what really worked well is putting in that Mm. time and effort to get to know the players early on and building that like trust. And then Mm. everything from like in the season, it was relatively easy to communicate with the players, engage the players. And and work on you know
1: tactical things because we had that relationship I love that and I'm I'm curious to know how to deal with conflict within teams so I'm gonna I'm gonna park that idea for now but thank you and when you say football are you talking about uh soccer or Australian rules football
0: uh so soccer so I coach soccer but I play footy so Um, um, right
1: that's why I'm a bit confused with all the balls <laughs> yeah that's I just thought I'd <laughs> clarify that one it's such an interchangeable yeah. term isn't it now with living in the United States as NFL of course as well so just to clarify that uh, so our next question is what about on the flip side have you got a coaching moment that didn't go well and what might be the lesson or two
0: yeah, so I really um, found coaching through like COVID, um, even coaching now through COVID, uh, quite challenging. And I probably would say it hasn't really gone um, well in the sense. Just trying to engage players um, or engage re-engage with players uh, having after lockdown has been really challenging, um, as a lot of the strategies that I previously implemented have, you know, have not really like worked. Because it's really challenging just getting players back onto the field now. So before you even get to the coaching aspect, you have to have a team. And I found it I found it really challenging just, you know, with with players now having found things to do with that time to try get them back out there, uh, playing like a 90 minute game and giving up considerable amount of time on their weekend um, has been really challenging even for me it's been challenging just trying to find that passion as we know passion's a key component of you know being a good coach and you know just finding that again as you know not only have the players kind of found other things to do at their time but even myself you know it's it's quite challenging being going having to go back and dedicate that time to
1: coach. Yeah I think that's super interesting and I think it's it really does boil down to the different ways that we engage people to want to be there as well, isn't it? I don't know, there's the whole gamification process or, you know, trying to find unique ways to want people to improve and get better. Because as you know, even with football training, I remember I used to have to train twice a week and I was like, what? I... Twice a week, it's hard in tennis, the world of tennis, it's hard to get people to train twice a week. Yeah, I think the way that you can set that up has to, we, we all have to start thinking outside of the square, don't we? Mm. Definitely.
0: And that's why we're seeing like a shift to, I guess, more like social formats of, of these sports, uh, where they don't require that commitment of having to attend, you know, two, three trainings and have to play like a 90 minute like form of game, where you, you know, some social formats you can just go. You can go whenever you want to, you can play for 15, 20 minutes or even 90 minutes if you, if you like, but there's no, there's not that like, you know, you don't have to do that. It's more Mm. opt-in,
1: opt-out. Yeah. Even uh, La Trobe golf course I saw the other day has just built a five hole golf course, allowing more women into the game, not having as much time to play golf. but still like the sport. I mean, it's sacrilege for me, but <laughs> as a golfer, but I think it's great. I I think it's fabulous. All right. What about uh, in, uh, what about your sliding doors moment? So can you think of a time where you've had to make a dramatic shift?
0: Yes, yeah, So for me, so getting into uh, coaching. So I'm a teacher by trade so business economics teacher and how I got involved into coaching was through being a teacher at a you know at an elite private school in Melbourne it was a requirement of my job to you know take part in a co-curricular activity and that co-curricular activity for me was to coach the a football team at the school and so I hadn't really coached a sport before or football uh, particularly. So I didn't really know how or what I was doing. Um, so my school, I was very lucky that they um, invested in my professional development. So I took part in a coaching course. Um, and on that coaching course, I learned a lot of things, but I also met and a lot of people that were willing to, um, you know, help me progress as a coach. Um, outside of that school sports setting. So that's really how I got my opportunities, one, to coach outside of the school sports setting um, and into the community environment. So um, I then started coaching uh, juniors um, in the National Premier League, and then worked my way up to eventually coaching um, senior women. But I also at that moment also spurred like I from attending this coaching course and also from doing those, uh, you know, having those coaching experiences in it, you know, outside the school environment. That sparked my interest in wanting to know where the women coaches were. As on this coaching course, I was literally like the only woman on that course. And even in these coaching environments, like I rarely saw women. Um, so that's what sparked my PhD topic in trying to understand the like, where are the women coaches, what are their lived experiences, if they exist at a community and elite level. So yeah, so that sliding doors moment. So when I started doing my PhD, um, my PhD is actually on the sociology of sports. So trying to understand power relationships within these environments that actually end up privileging men over women. So my whole PhD is on sociology, but I was teaching economics. It was a different mindset. So I actually had to make a decision at one point Uh, Whether I wanted to keep teaching and drop the PhD and perhaps some of the coaching aspects or quit my full-time ongoing teaching role, uh, which was, you know, quite uh, now I realise it was actually, you know, really good opportunity Um, at the time. I was probably, uh, yeah, I was just like, I'm willing to take the risk and I did take the risk. So I kind of went from a really good secure job to being a full-time uni student which um, isn't so financially secure um, or lucrative. So I actually that was my sliding doors moment where I actually yeah jumped from being a full-time teacher to a full-time student finishing my PhD. So I shut really that door on that avenue. But doing this PhD, is, I've learned so much and I've been on a completely different journey Um, I probably would have never engaged as much in this coaching space, started the Women's Coaching Association, met people like you, and and now have found new passions and drivers
1: that, you know, get me through life. Fantastic story. Would you recommend it to anyone listening to this podcast who's wants to stretch their thinking in the PhD student land? Is that something you'd recommend?
0: I mean, I definitely rec- I would recommend it. I mean, I'd say you, you'd have to be slightly crazy to undertake a PhD because you have to really genuinely care about and be passionate about the topic because it is a long game. Um, in the sense it's like a four-year journey uh, or more for some people uh, where you don't get financially rewarded you don't do it for the money it takes up a lot of your time to read write and yeah like just making sure that you get your research uh, communicated across to people that perhaps could make some change and impact with that Uh, so it's a different journey but it's changed my life because you know I now my mind has expanded I now you know, things that and I see things in ways that perhaps I didn't uh, see before, so it's changed my life. So, mm. if you want something that's going to you know, want like to reinvigorate you, I definitely recommend doing a PhD, but yeah, probably won't yeah. be financially rewarding in the short term. Well,
1: on that not on the financial note but on on another note I'm very grateful for people like you who do the research and can write it up in a way that I can read it and and absorb it and then utilize it in my my life so so I'm very grateful because I'm definitely not going to go down that path (laughs) but I thank you for people like you in the world who are passionate about it so appreciate you all right uh Our next question is our guiding question in one to a maximum of three words. What do you think makes a great coach? I think that passion is really important. Um, So being passionate
0: about your, you know, your sport, your trade, uh, wanting to always learn. So that's what I found now. That's what drives me. That's what gets me up every day is I genuinely love coaching. I genuinely want to know more about how to be the best coach that I can be and how to encourage and more women coaches to get into the field and how organizations can better support them. So I think that passion is key because that's what will, you know, keep you in the game. And then my second one would be belief um, is really important. So having belief in yourself is key. Um, So you really have to, and that's been a a learning journey for me, because I didn't really know what I wanted to do. I still sometimes don't, not everyone's believed in me. Um, So especially coming from, I, I guess, like a, you know, Indian background. I perhaps didn't have opportunities to play sport or, you know, it hasn't really been, you know, seen as something that I should be doing. But I've now found myself back into sport because I love it and I'm passionate about it. But I also believe in my ability and myself to be good in this space. And so I think, one, that's really important to believe in you. But to be a good coach, to believe in your players um, is really important. So, Making sure that you believe in them, you trust them to to do to do to do to do their best, and also listen to your instructions. I think that's key in in becoming a good coach. And my last one is listening. So in order to to do those things, you have to be able to listen to your players, um, and that means giving them a chance to talk. Often, coaches tend to love you know their own sound of their own voice. And you know, talk about themselves. But for for me, I think it's really important in order to get to know your players and build that relationship, you have to be willing to listen to your players and give them opportunities to just uh talk to you. And even for me, I've now had various like mentors, teachers in my life, and often the best teachers are the ones that have actually made time to get to know me. And it's actually quite surprising at how many teachers I could probably name that know nothing about me. They haven't, they know nothing. So, <laughs> and that's quite sad, I think, because they don't really genuinely know who I am, what drives me gets me up and how I can do my best, but also help them achieve their best. So
1: mm-hmm. I love that. And what <laughs> I'm going rogue uh, straight away. What, what do you see is the difference between a teacher and a coach, or is there a difference? It's a great question, Emma. I think, you know, teachers and coaches both have the same
0: responsibility. You're responsible for a group Uh, mentoring, uh, guiding them to help them achieve their best. But for me, what I find in terms of the differences in teaching and coaching is not so much the act of teaching and coaching, but more the support structures around it. So I always say, you know, coaching for me was like teaching in a hot oven. You know, I don't have four walls to protect me. If anyone can approach me, uh, so the parents can approach you, the players can approach you, the referee can approach you, anyone can approach whereas in teaching you've got a system that protects the teacher so for example if a parent has any issues they have to go through a process same with uh, you know the students and you know anyone else so you've got that element of you know protection that actually help that kind of um you know it enables people to respect you whereas I find in coaching because there's a lack of that support those structures, there is that tend to sometimes, uh, you know, translate into a lack of respect for that coach, even though you're pretty much,
1: you know, doing similar roles. Interesting. Yeah, good take. Like it. Never thought about it that way because I haven't really been in a classroom. So, um,
0: yeah. Yeah, and it's coaching is a, you know, undervalued profession. You know, I just think teaching, nowadays teachers, there's so much for them to do, but coaches do a lot too. And they often do it uh, and you have to be quite like resilient have to be quite entrepreneurial just to survive in that environment because coaches as we know very few organizations actually support coaches but then very few organizations even fewer organizations support community coaches you know you're literally Mm. left to your own devices to survive
1: in these environments which is something that I'm quite passionate to change yeah that was I was I was waiting for that line I was like but there are organizations out there doing the work to help all right our last official question is where we ask you to ask us a question.
0: What sparks my curiosity is what motivates uh, coaches to stay in the game? So mm-hmm. I've always yeah. been quite passion- like interested in that because, you know, coaching is quite a tough, you know, gig, um, especially if you want to stay in it for the long term. But I've always been curious to what drives coaches because mm. it's a really high pressure, sometimes strenuous environment, next to no, like,
1: you know, sometimes reward,
0: what is it that keeps them in the game?
1: Mm, great question. Hearing that question and yeah. reflecting on my own journey, especially with, with your background and what you're you're interested in, I feel like I've had these massive sliding doors moments. Like to keep me in the game has been those those moments where I was burnt out or those moments where I thought I was going to get out of tennis Then the moment I did get out of tennis, but am I ever really out of tennis? So, uh, what's coming up for me is how you reinvent your identity with coaching. It's just something I wanted to have our listeners think about their own identity with their relationship to the sport. Because the other thing, why it's so hard as well as a profession, is we're constantly in service to the sport, to our athletes to our players, to our clients, whether it be even in the workplace as well. So I think being able to manage that and recovery, let, let's go there. Let's talk about uh, the balance and being able to get fresh ideas and new perspectives and jump out of the 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 world of coaching to be able to reinvigorate your passion. What's your take on on the balance, on well-being for the coach?
0: Oh, I think it's so important Um, because it's really easy to burn out and once you burn out i think that's what sometimes your passion it kind of lowers that that fire that you know puts a dampener on that so i think that rest recover taking time out is really important but it's actually really challenging as i mentioned before in, in teaching environments you get school holidays there's that structure where you have that time to allow yourself to switch off a little bit and, you know, rest and recover. But in coaching, it's, it can be sometimes quite difficult, especially now with the um, demands of coaching and even like athletes having to train all year round. So as soon as you finish a season, you maybe get like a, a few days or if you're lucky, a few weeks uh, before you get stuck into a pre-season, then a full season, you know, and and so forth. So I think it's really important Um, we need to reconsider the role of a coach, especially um, if we want more women coaches to get into the game. So we need to, I think a lot of sports need to consider co-coaching, team coaching. So coaches are encouraged to share the load and share the, you know, uh, and have like, you know, more transparent communication styles and, um, you know, responsibilities. So going away from that autocratic uh, perhaps leadership style, to perhaps a more relational leadership style, I think is really important. But that requires a significant mindset change. So yeah, and that I think perhaps could hold the key to making sure coaches look after themselves and don't get burnout so that they do stay in the game.
1: Yeah, totally agree. I think it's super interesting how people have dabbled in this in the past, but there seems to be sometimes the ego of the central figurehead that wants to take over. And, you know, the collaborative coaching approach hasn't always been embraced because the person who's leading the ship has different opinions of how to get things done. I I agree. I think it's definitely a huge part of how we manage our own health and happiness to be able to get it done. But, I mean, we need an ego in the Western world, right? But how does coach, how can a coach uh, be more col- collaborative, do you think? Well, that's a really good question. I mean,
0: uh, if you look at, like, the World Cup recently, you look at the Japanese coach, they're, you know, bowing to the fans, bowing to the players. The players, the coaches have all cleaned up their rubbish after a game, Um, you know, left their locker rooms like clean, no mess. To have that form of respect requires you to take away a little bit of that ego. And so that goes into perhaps even respecting yourself. We can't continue to lose coaches to this, to any game, to any sport. So if we want to keep coaches in our game and attract coaches to our game, right now, one of the main things that are deterring people from becoming coaches, especially women, is the fact that, you know, you can lose your job, you know, you can stay in a job for like five weeks, lose your job, but then also you can stay in a job for like a year or two, but be incredibly overworked and burnt out to the point where it's not sustainable and not cohesive of a, like, you know, a family, like work-life balance. So I think, you know, we have to perhaps like think about like reducing a little bit of ego in this sense because, yeah, that ego sometimes is what, it, what, is what gets in the way and, um, you know, people become quite like, I guess, power hungry or wanting that head coach role and so forth. But we see now the, the uh, Australian men's cricket team wanting a bit more of a collaborative approach, wanting co-coaches, wanting coaches to actually invest in the player more, uh, listen to them, to invest in that relationship and care for the player's work-life balance. Because it's not only important for a coach to have a work-life balance, but we want uh, to encourage athletes to have healthy relationships with the people around them as well. So I think so, you know, taking away that ego will help.
1: <laughs> yeah. So on that, continuing on, along those lines, what do you do when you've got a team of players and you've got a superstar athlete and you're listening to the that superstar athlete who believes in maybe a certain tactical play, but the majority of the players believe in something else and you've got that conflict. What are your thoughts on how to manage that?
0: Yeah, that's a great question. I think that's where I'd go to my approach of, you know, say, you know, this this team coaching, co-coaching. If um, a coach doesn't need to be everything. So for example, for me, Sometimes tactically, if there's a form of just different views on the team, if I have a good team of coaches with me, I can confide in and perhaps get their input. But then as a team, we communicate that and the why as to why we're going with a certain direction to players, that can sometimes help ease some of those uh, tensions within the team. And we see that now with Portugal, um, especially in the, in the World Cup. Uh, you know, Cristiano Ronaldo, one of the world's best players, has been just sat on the bench for 70 minutes, you know, and went on on the like 74th minute or something to play the rest out of the game. That's the first game that they have actually started on the bench for their national team. And they weren't happy. with That player was not happy, has communicated their um, anger publicly with, you know, the, the players, the, the team, the public. But what that coach has done has ensured that before making that decision they've not only got buy-in from majority of the players but they've also got buy-in from the coaching staff and even to some extent the nation so making that decision now does not look bad on the coach or their coaching staff it more just
1: reflects badly on I guess the actions of you know, Cristiano Ronaldo. That's super interesting. Thanks for sharing those little insights. I like all the little stories that you have around soccer. It's not a world that I'm often in as well or reading about. But uh, So give me some of the stats on what's the lay of the land now with women in coaching.
0: Currently in in football, soccer, uh, 7% of uh, coaches are women, Um, accredited coaches are women um and in most sports it's less than 10%. So very few sports are breaking going higher than 10% in their women coach representation and that's extremely disappointing especially and it's and it's it's not especially when there's a lot of now investment going into participation so a lot of sports are heavily invested in growing and increasing their participation having 50-50 representation uh, with with you know women and uh, girls and uh, boys and men but what where often sports aren't where they're not investing enough their time money resources is in that coaching space so if we neglect this coaching space all these women and girls that we have part in you know joining sports for participation they right now don't actually have an avenue to progress or stay in that sport if it's not playing so often the boys and men they can enter these playing opportunities And then after that, they can perhaps, you know, go into the coaching landscape. And we see now men often getting a double dip where they are considered for coaching roles in the women and girls space, but also the men and boys space. And or then they can go into leadership. They can go into commentating. They have various pathways and careers outside of playing. Whereas for women and girls, those opportunities are are limited and in in some sports non-existent. So they rarely get looked at uh, to coach women and girls teams, but then they pretty much it's like non-existent women and co- women coaches coaching in men's environments, and then they're also non-existent at a board level, at a referee level, and you know team physio and so forth, like and even broadcasting media level. So they're absent. In most roles outside of that playing space so a lot of coach a lot of sports need to really address this as it's not becoming optional anymore it's becoming like an emergency we need to have more avenues and pathways for women and girls to progress into roles like coaching and everything else outside so- of playing.
1: Why did you start the Women's Coaching Association?
0: So uh, Jules and I, we started the uh, Women's Coaching Association because we realised that there's not really anything, anybody that advocates for women coaches. You know, in terms of making the women coaches that exist, like yourself, visible, like the young uh, women and girls don't know, uh, you know, who's the women coach out there, um, who they are. So we wanted to make them visible. So we want to help make women coaches visible to attract more women coaches. But then we also uh, recognize, and this in my research, it shows there needs to be more catered uh, training and development opportunities for women coaches to stay in the game. So then we can retain women coaches but then also to make sure that, uh, you know, women coaches are, you know, there's a sustainable future for them. We need to continue advocating for women coaches. So currently right now, and this is where I always compare it to teaching and coaching. In teaching, you go into teaching, you sign a contract, you know how much you're getting paid, you know how many hours you're expected to do, and if you are mistreated, there's a process. You go through HR, and so forth so if the in teaching you end up getting underpaid you end up having form of bullying and harassment there's an avenue there's a pathway where you can address it whereas in coaching there's not really anything so coaches can you know sometimes get into coaching roles without signing a contract therefore sometimes they're in situations where they don't get paid where they're promised an income but you know where do they go when that happens where they don't currently have a place to go um, but also uh coaches um they face bullying and harassment women coaches in in their club environments but also their coach education environments where it's actually quite common and that's where my research shows that it's you know quite alarming the amount of bullying and harassment women coaches face um so right now there's nowhere for these coaches to go to complain to go to and often uh, sporting organizations really only represent elite coaches um so that's their you know like a you know elite coaches perhaps coaching in like uh you know like the elite national team setup up or state team set up. but then when it comes to community land, there's really no form of support for these coaches and if they get mistreated underpaid, where do they go to report it or where can they go to talk to someone? there's no form of uh, EAP system like counseling system for coaches. So my hope is that I can grow the Women's Coaching Association to make women coaches more visible, provide more tailored coaching support. So you know your coaches promote a really uh you know inclusive environment for women coaches. So to promote coaches like courses like yours, I'd love to do that more, do more of that. But then also to provide some form of like legal Wellbeing, counselling, support for coaches, so then they can go to a body like the Women's Coaching Association when they need
1: it. Mm, fantastic! I love that. And uh, so, how do people join, or how does it work?
0: So currently, um, the Women's Coaching Association is on by me, <laughs> and um, so right now with the Women's Coaching Association, um, just really like follow, support on all our on all of our social media platforms. We don't have a membership or anything as of yet, um, and that's mainly because just trying to like you know I really want to make sure it that I'm actually offering some something you know other than just uh, visibility for women coaches. So my hope is um, in the next few years I'll get my research to inform a lot of the decisions, uh, you know that uh, go into the Women's Coaching Association, and I'll once have a bit more like financial backing and support. I'd like to be able to offer things like uh, well-being, counselling support services, legal support services, education, training and development services for women coaches. Um, And at that point in time, there'll be a membership option. Um, So, you know, coaches can sign up and get on board and, um, yeah, therefore they can be supported hopefully throughout their coaching careers.
1: Mm. So right now just check out the website, which is? Womencoaches.com womencoaches.com I knew it'd be easy easy nice and easy fantastic all right so uh as we sort of round off this episode what's that what's that one message that you would love for the male champions of change out there to hear so that they can attract engage retain more women coaches
0: yes the main message for me would be really um you know women coaches exist you have to find them You have to stay with them, believe in them, and help provide opportunities for them to succeed. And that may include stepping aside. So right now, we see a lot of male champions, perhaps, you know, advocating for women coaches, but still holding that space within these roles. So you can provide as much training and development for women coaches, but ultimately, if the opportunity is not there, they're not going to stay. So we genuinely need to help find opportunities and that is paid jobs for women coaches to stay in our sports. Um. So that would be my main message. And if I can give another message is think outside the box when it comes to coaching. So, for example, I'm not an ex-professional player or athlete. I have played uh, quite, I've recently won my best and fairest in footy. I've played tennis, I've played golf, a few other sports. And, you know, I, I can play, but I've never played at an elite level. So that automatically in some sport criteria would disqualify me from even really being a coach or being considered to be a good coach. So I'd really encourage sport organisations to think outside the box as to, um, you know, looking outside that elite playing pathway for coaches because they can really add some value. Like teachers can add some value um, and, you know, and bring in a lot of qualities that make great coaches um but they just haven't played at an elite level. So just look outside the box when it comes to recruiting. Mm,
1: With passion and belief and listening. Aish Ravi, it's been a pleasure having you on the coaching podcast for the second time. (laughs) And, of course, thank you for featuring in my book, What Makes a Great Coach. Uh, And I appreciate everything you're doing in this space. So keep, keep doing what you're doing and thank you for being on the coaching podcast.
0: Thanks for the opportunity, Emma. It's been great to chat with you.